Welcome to the Christ and All podcast. My name is Taylor Easley, and as always, I have Chad Hunsberger with me. How are you, Chad? All is well. It is, really. No doubt. Um, do you know why? Because of our guest today. Yeah. yeah. I really like them. Two of your favorites. They are. Yeah. Um, today we have Nash and Emily Barber, uh, and I am super stoked about this podcast because wow. <laughs> you're also unable to keep going i'm not i'm, so. not, I'm sorry really they make me laugh a lot <laughs> yes um but i'm gonna let you take it from here yeah. and uh talk with them about haitian culture uh today continuing our cultures series yeah. so take it away chad so we'll do this we'll do some introductions nash how are you doing today i'm good yeah excellent and emily is your wife emily how are you doing today i'm great uh we have the like I think everybody, or many of the listeners, at least most, would know this. But Emily not only uh, is is a friend of well, that makes Taylor laugh, but is also uh, serves as our, our preschool discipleship director here at Colonial Heights. And Nash is like the premier sidekick who also works all things preschool. And so thankful for both of y'all. And all preschool all the time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but before you you came here on staff, y'all were serving together in Haiti. So so tell us a little bit about that ministry first of all. What what was your uh, as as serving there in Haiti? What was that? What was the job, the task at hand? And then then we'll kind of pivot to Haitian culture. But help us know even why you were there, what you were doing, how long you were there, those kind of things. Um, yeah, so we uh, went to Haiti through an organization here in Ridgeland, kind of the parent company, um, and then we had separate board of uh, directors in um, Florida, and it was a uh, children's home in about 20 miles east of the capital city of Port-au-Prince, mm-hmm. um, and we went there in 2017, and we were there for about two years. Um, we oversaw, I was kind of the business director and kind of oversaw the staff and the budget and all the fun stuff. And uh, we had 14 kids that were ages at that time. Uh, they're older now, but ages uh, 5 through 13 or 14 um, at the time. And we got to do the everyday um, fun stuff of kind of being um, resident mom and dad, but also kind of did a lot of the business stuff as well. Yeah. So would that, would a, a term like a house parent be a fair term for that? Yes. Yeah. I there would would, so. Yes. It would be the way it was set up. There was a, there was a building for mm-hmm. girls and a building for boys. Okay. And we did not stay in either, Yeah. but we were the, the parent family in residence. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, but obviously then kind of keeping, maintaining the day-to-day operations of that, whether that was finances or otherwise, y'all were together in that, that teamwork side of things. Um, and you did that, you said that you did that for about two years, 17 to 19 ish or, or close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, both had come out of other work previously, right? Um, specifically doing some school teaching and doing some insurance stuff, but came out of that and went to the mission field, come back uh, really for a couple reasons, but partially uh, called back by the Lord to, to serve here again in, in your, your roles that you're still in, at least 
different companies maybe, but same type of work, correct? Right. Oh, that's, that's correct. good. Okay. We got lots of head nods, but I realized I wasn't giving you a chance to speak. So, uh, yeah, it's very good. So, so now, how, all right, so you're there in Haiti. And um, for, for some people, uh, I know that because of that parent organization, lots of people from Colonial Heights are familiar with some things about Haiti, at least from a few years back uh, from getting to serve there. But tell us about the Haitian culture. What, what, what are some things that would be helpful for us to know about the people and about what it's like to live there? So um, first, we are not experts on Haitian culture. Sure. We, um, we were there two years. We learned the language. We lived closely with people. But a lot of what we experienced is specific to our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, the Haitian culture... Haitians are, um, Haiti is the first country that led a slave revolt to earn their own independence. So, um, I did not know that. That that explains a lot about where we'll go with that. Yeah. They were, the island was discovered and mostly French slaves, but just European slaves in general were brought to the island, which at that time was one big island. Mm -hmm. And, Eventually, there was a revolt, and post the Dominican Republic split, so Mm -hmm. Haiti and the Dominican Republic share an island, but post that split, Haiti earned its own independence as a result of slave rebellions and revolts. It actually happened over a a span of time. It wasn't just one thing, but um, they began in poverty because they were slaves. They earned their own independence, but then what? Um, and poverty has shaped the way the entire history of the nation currently lives, even. Yeah. So they started, I mean, they were, they had nothing. They were destitute at the beginning, but fought for their independence because it was worth it. Yeah. And then over the years have had setback after setback, both um, like in a government setting, but also a natural disaster setting. So I kind of think about at least our experience dealing with the people that we knew was that there was a pre-earthquake Haiti and a post-earthquake Haiti. In 2010, there was an earthquake that just crippled. Mm -hmm. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people. Most of the capital city today is the government buildings are some of the only ones that have been repaired Mm -hmm. because there is still a city in ruin as a result of that. So, Because you take poverty and you destroy it and you have... Deeper poverty. So, and there are, it's also tropical, so there's Mm -hmm. also hurricanes. So every time things get a little better, it feels like a big hurricane comes. Mm -hmm. So Haitians are marked by being the poorest country in the Western world. Right. Um, But there, sometimes when I hear people talk about Haiti, that's all I hear. Um, There are, that is the case. It is very much a hard place to live. But there is a lot more to culture than that because it's the norm there. Right, right. Um, the, the Haitians that we dealt with were more rural. So almost the whole country lives in the cities, it mm-hmm. feels like, because the ground, agriculture's hard, so people have migrated in. So mm-hmm. the cities are crowded, and where we were was a little more rural. So our experience is a little different even than what you would experience if you were inside yeah. one of the big cities. There's a handful of big cities, and pretty much everybody lives in one of those. So... Haitians are warm, friendly people, Mm. 
Um, there is also a little level of Western distrust. So sure. relationship building in Haiti can be difficult. Yeah. But in general, they are a, a really warm, friendly, like loud, gregarious people. Mm-hmm. Do you agree, Nash? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, they're also like probably the most resilient human beings uh, that yeah. have ever walked the planet. I mean, just anything that ever, like Emily kind of alluded to, anything that ever could happen to a society has happened to them. And, you know, they just they just keep fighting back and just keep figuring out ways to to make to at least try to make ends meet and um, just keep surviving day after day. Yeah. I think about, uh, okay, I, I spent a week there, so I'm not talking about from lots of experience, but I remember um, even having conversations about uh, as, as ministries were coming in, trying to help, trying to build houses and that kind of stuff, and and uh, the, the welcoming side sticks out to me like this, that uh, the first houses that were built by, like mission teams, didn't have a front porch. And it was like, this is a glaring problem. That means that every, like the Haitian people aren't going to just sit tucked in their house by themselves all day. No, they, they want to be sitting on the porch with their friends, being loud and gregarious and, and having those conversations and, uh, and, and those kinds of things, demonstrating even their, the community that they desire to have with each other. Our, our Americans are like looking for doors and windows to shut. <laughs> and, and they're looking for, hey, how can we be out in the open more? How can we be with each other? And just that was that kind of positive culture display. There's a level of, I hesitate to use this word, so I hope it communicates clearly. It's a village culture in a lot mm. of ways. So a lot of people are born, grow up raise families, and die all in the same place. Mm -hmm. So you have this level of we are all a community of people um, that take care of each other. We sit on each other's front porches. Part of that is climate-based alone. Mm -hmm. You would rather be outside than inside a building without ventilation or air conditioning because it's hot. Amen. Some of that is actual temperature-based. Yeah, sure. But just in general, there's a level of this is our community and we do it all together. Um, which again, posed a challenge in creating relationships sometimes because you weren't really in that village. No, I'm an outsider. Yeah. Even, yeah. even to the people that we had the closest relationships with, mm-hmm. we ultimately came from a different place and mm-hmm. didn't have the framework background, whatever that they did. So it, it was a challenge in some ways it made for, it made you want to create relationship, but it made it hard to sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, as, as deep as the relationships we built, especially with the folks that we dealt with every day, you always got, it always felt like you got to a certain point where there was always an arm out, like arm's length at some point. You would always get, to, it was it was different for different people, but it would always feel like when you got to that certain place in your relationship with that person, mm-hmm. that's when the walls would come back up. There was always that that hesitation, if you will. Um, and it wasn't that you know they weren't warm and inviting and all the things, um, but it was there was always that level of we can only get so far in um, before the walls came yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I mentioned the history. It's, mm-hmm. It all is there. It sure. makes total sense. Sure. Even even. Um, there's, there's ongoing struggle, um, in Haiti 
and and some of that, like as as you describe, uh, resilience and uh, continuing to make it and continuing to, uh, and at the same time knowing where if if revolt is what it starts out of, then then there's there's that continuation of that, and that's a way to understand where they come from and their history in that sense. So so help us understand a little bit about uh, religion there. Uh, both obviously you guys were there as a as a part of taking the gospel, uh, wanting Christ to be known there and for churches to, to grow and flourish there. But tell us a little bit about um, the, the religion, religious culture there, and even then what it's like as followers of Christ. So the, the religious climate of Haiti, I would say, is kind of, I don't know that it's unique, but it felt unique as Americans mm-hmm. going down there. Um, you have the Western influence of having come out of French. Um, they were they were enslaved by mm-hmm. the French. So there's a high level of Roman Catholic influence. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people you meet that would call themselves Christians are more Roman Catholic. Um, but you also have some of the more tribal um, African influence of voodoo. Mm-hmm. And so even... You have some level of Protestants. I've looked it up today. I even mm-hmm. I think it's about half Roman Catholic, about a quarter Protestant, and then a quarter everything else. Okay. But voodoo is kind of mixed into all of it. So that's what a lot of people know about uh-huh. Haiti. And even the people you meet that would call themselves believers have some level of fear and respect mm-hmm. for the darkness of yeah. voodoo. I they would not practice it, but there is just a level yeah. of superstition and unease that goes along with living in a place where that is, where that is active and sure. Yeah. So I'm going to use a, like a, uh, theological term that gets used, especially in mission, uh, syncretism. So this concept of like taking, uh, if you're not careful, Christianity with a dash of, voodoo or in other cultures yeah uh, i think of specifically like a hindu a lot of times they'll receive that yeah sure what christ to our altar of gods right and so maybe it's jesus with a splash of a voodoo doll or witch Mm -hmm. doctor or uh, whatever the case is and so that's that's one of those things where we have to work really hard at presenting full gospel clarity so that it's not that syncretist mindset as right. well. And so you you would say from y'all's experience that is one of those pieces that that has to be all the more reason to be that much more clear there. Am yes. I right? Yes, I vividly remember. I'm thinking of one conversation right now with the girls in our girls' home that were terrified of something that was happening as a result of some voodoo mm-hmm. practicing. They were terrified and I vividly remember telling them I didn't even have a ton of Creole, which is the Mm -hmm. casually spoken language there. I didn't even have enough to say what I needed to say, but I just remember like screaming, you do not have to be afraid. Mm -hmm. This, this has no authority. And they're like, we know God's in control. And I'm like, but right. (laughs) Like, yeah, because there was just a level of fear that I was just surprised that kids who have grown up in a church, Mm -hmm. a Christian church in that case, were still like, Oh no, we can't, 
Yeah. Because it they go together. At least that's sure. how it's felt. Sure, sure. Yeah, I would I would say even the even the folks that would would tell you they're a believer, um, they you know they'll tell you it's just kind of like what she said. It's you know they'll tell you oh yeah you know God has authority and everything, but like I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not going to test the waters there because if they say that's what they're doing, if that's what, you know, if they're saying basically the fear comes in, but they also, I wouldn't say believe it, but they, they know enough to be like, well, I'm not going to fool with that just in case it is true, mm-hmm. just because, mm-hmm. you know, just in case, you know, that is the case. And, you know, they, they don't have enough, not saying they don't have enough faith, but like there's there's a sense of, the fact that they're it's afraid fear. to com- yeah i mean yeah. they're afraid to commit to really commit 100% one way or the sure. other so there is a uh, uh, this this can be helpful to us the, to the listeners about this concept but um really you know, this word afraid fear keep coming up and there is what is often described in in cult- cross cultural mission is understanding the difference between a uh guilt culture, which is what Americans live in, uh, a fear culture and a shame culture. So shame is going to be a lot of times um, in like uh, Asian culture. A lot of times that's a a piece there. Fear is often uh, African and in this case, uh, Haitian. And then guilt is think about the way you share the gospel, right? It's, It's addressing that thing because the gospel addresses guilt. The gospel addresses fear. The gospel addresses shame, right? We have honor in Christ. We have no fear in Christ. We are not guilty in Christ. And so uh, I think it's helpful for us then to kind of pivot in that regard to that's how we then think about our our work among those who live in that kind of mindset. It's not just uh, American or non, right? Haitian or not, but there are those that are living in that kind of fear culture mindset that our task then is to help them see that with Christ, we are, we are not living in fear. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so on this side, you've moved back, right? There's, uh, as, as people who love the people you left, uh, there's friends there, certainly. Uh, what are things that we can be praying for, uh, the people of Haiti and maybe even that's question one, maybe a, a question two is, is there anything you can think of that um, not just that we could do for Haiti, but that we can or ways that we can uh, engage that kind of culture here, even in the States? So um, Haiti is in crisis now, mm-hmm. so you can certainly be praying for the country of Haiti. There is turmoil. There is, um, we get messages daily, all day long from people begging Mm -hmm. for help. And we were just in a small pocket. So our circle is very small, but it is in crisis. The government has crumbled. The, um, there is a lot of gang warfare Mm -hmm. sounding and feeling things going on. So you can certainly pray for the, the people of Haiti in general. But also there's this level of um, you can't, well, I shouldn't say that. You can share the gospel with someone whose physical needs are not met. Mm-hmm. You can do that. They have a harder time listening. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that you we've brought this home with us even in some ways is physical needs are 
the if physical needs are unmet, we're talking starvation, sure. water, sickness, all of those things are crippling in Haiti. Um, if physical needs are not met, it is a lot harder for somebody to want to sit and hear you. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that we've even brought home loving on people is meet their physical needs, feed mm-hmm. someone, help with their children, help with um, – that's the way that most organizations in Haiti reach people is through um, the the basics. We're talking mm-hmm. – there's no great health care system. Mm-hmm. There's, they have a, they have poor health care, poor water source, which leads to more sickness. Um, bad, the environmental agricultural side of things is hard. So what we did while we were there, within the orphanage, we loved on kids, and that was the best part of all of it. But then the organization we were there with, physical needs was the door to share the gospel. Yeah, that's good. I'll bring you in, and I will. I will give you the medicine for what you need. I will um, I will help you with your kids. I will do the things. But then let me tell you why it matters. Mm-hmm. You can do that here. Yeah. You can do that in any culture, especially a culture that's living in poverty, which we have surrounding us too. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get a lot further with somebody if you show them love instead of just telling it to them. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I learned the most that I would bring back and say, sometimes we miss that. Yeah. We do a lot more preaching at people than mm-hmm. we do um, showing them, which they need They need both. Yeah. But we miss it sometimes yeah. here, I think. And I, w- I don't know that I would have noticed that before coming yeah. home. Good. Um, I would say biggest thing besides physical needs are obviously there, but just – praying for a consistent idea of hope in basically hoping that a a group of people who has constantly been, you know, under fire from all these different, you know, scenarios and all the things that just every time they feel like they, you know, they're just getting beaten down every way they look. And it's just the way that they can continue to hope in, in a God that provides their daily needs, but every day it's getting harder and mm-hmm. harder and harder for them to do that. Um, and it's hard for us sitting in our comfortable chairs and our comfortable house and driving our cars and all the things, the things that we take for granted so many times that, you know, these people are, are they're just trying to get a, a bag of rice and a bag of beans mm-hmm. so they can feed their families. Sure. And something that we would take, a couple meals that that would be something for the week, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just basic needs, but just the just spiritual rest and yeah. just the ability to to just keep keep your eyes on Jesus and keeping their eyes up, and and then that just even when it's not easy, yeah, yeah. and it's so, never easy. So I would maybe to encapsulate the what both of y'all just said. One, we're praying for their physical needs to be met that they might have hope in Christ, that they see that those needs are met by him and that we love them. Uh, we, 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 being uh, the church, Christians, display love. So we're praying for uh, also the resiliency, the stamina, the energy from the believers that are still there, right? Uh, they need that. Uh, they need the steadfast uh, and, and that, uh, yeah, 
patient endurance. Uh, and so I think those are good things for us to remember to pray for them and to remember that we can live those out. I think that was a great example of living those out here uh, among those that our neighbors and our friends. And so very thankful for uh, you guys sharing this time with us today and certainly thankful for your, your time in Haiti and the way God used you there. So thank you all for, for being a part. Thank you. I really love seeing this side of y'all. So thank you listeners uh, for listening today. And a new episode airs every Wednesday uh, of the Christ and All podcast. And if you have a question or a topic that you would like Pastor Chad to discuss or address, um, you can email that to info at colonialheights.org. And we would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.